He was born in the obscure rural village of Pollerpury, North Hampshire, in England in 1761. He began as a teenager to apprentice at a cobbler's shop. He was learning how to become a shoemaker. And it was there at that cobbler's shop that he began a relationship with Jesus. William Carey was so invested in this relationship that even though he had very little formal education to speak of, he borrowed a Greek grammar and he proceeded to teach him himself New Testament Greek. As a young man, Carrie, he became a shoemaker and he married his sweetheart, Dorothy. They had a daughter soon after. She was two years old, though, when she died. And then Carrie, well, he began to take stock of his life. He left the shoemaking business and he became pastor. As a pastor, he taught himself Hebrew. He also taught himself Latin. And as he's studying the scriptures, he kind of entered this almost defining the relationship moment because he noticed this continual command of Jesus to go and make disciples. He saw it repeated throughout the New Testament, this calling to go and make disciples. And so he began to preach sermons. And one of the sermons, he told his congregation that multitudes sit at ease and give themselves no concern about the far greater part of their fellow sinners who this day are lost in ignorance and idolatry. You understand, William Carey, he was wrestling in his own life and he was causing the people now to wrestle in their lives as well what it really meant to follow Jesus, what it really meant to be a Christian, to define the relationship. And so as he's wrestling with this, he's invited to this meeting of uh, Baptist leaders. You see, William Carey was a Baptist, and he goes to this meeting of Baptist leaders. Now, in those days, Baptist, it was, it was a new denomination. And in this fledgling denomination, they hadn't really heard of, of missions. They weren't accustomed to sending any missionaries overseas missions. Well, it was a foreign idea to them. But William Carey, he stood up in this meeting, and he declared the need for Baptists to go and to send missionaries all over the world. Well, the Baptist leaders, they laughed at him. They told him to sit down. They told him, young man, you're just an enthusiast. An enthusiast, you need to sit down. If God wants to save those heathens, well, he'll do so without consulting you or me. William Carey, he would not be dissuaded, though. He would go back. He would form a mission society, and he would take his wife. And at the time, she was pregnant, so he would leave with her and his three boys and another fourth boy on the way, and they would go to India. And things did not start off well for William Carey in India. It was actually very, very difficult. He soon contracted malaria, and soon after that, his son Peter, who was only five years old, he died of dysentery. All of these hardships coupled with just the strange culture of India, well, it was all too much for William Carey's wife, Dorothy. She began to have a mental breakdown. She, she started seeing delusions, and she was screaming like a madwoman woman. And in those days, they just didn't know what to do when you had mental health problems. I mean, Carrie, he didn't know how to, how to comfort his wife. He's writing letters back to his sisters in England. He's wanting some kind of advice. He didn't know what to do, but he knew this. He was destined to be this missionary in India. 
So he did what he thought was best. He confined his wife to a room. He physically restrained her there, put some physical restraints on her, and he continued to do the work that he was called to do. What he did was is he built this team of people, and this man with so little formal education, he would translate the Bible into all six of India's primary languages, and he would translate parts of the Bible into 209 other kind of tribal languages and dialects. William Carey, he set the stage, really built the foundation for missions in India and also all around the world. William Carey, he would stay in India until he died, all 41 years there, never one furlough to go back to England. He stayed there all 41 years. When William Carey died, he soon became known as the father of modern missions, and denominations across the board have since followed his example and sent missionaries all over the world. And it started, well, it started with the defining the relationship type of moment where he had to look at the scriptures and ask the question, what does it really mean to follow Jesus? What does it really mean to be a Christian? Now, we've all had those defining the relationship type of moments, haven't we? Maybe it's a job or something, and your employer is telling you, hey, this is what it means to be an employee of this company. These are your responsibilities. This is what you have to do. This is what the relationship looks like. You know, parents will sometimes have this conversation with their kids, don't they? This is what it looks like to be a functioning member of the family so that we can have a healthy family. This is how the relationship is going to work. And then, of course, with a dating relationship, you reach that point, right, where the relationship has to be defined. And oftentimes, it starts with someone saying those three words, I love you. And now the question comes, how does the other person respond? Because there's a lot of ways you can respond to that question. You can say, I love you in a lot of different ways. And are you going to respond immediately or are you going to wait a little bit? And how long do you wait? Because if you wait too long, well... That's a response too. There's a lot of ways to respond to the question, I love you. And if you respond the wrong way, well, that can be one of the most awkward and heavy moments, can't it? Simon Peter would find that out. I want you to see it this morning as we continue through our series as Jesus is instructing his disciples on what to do now that he is risen from the dead. This morning, we're going to be in John chapter 21, verses 15 through 17. It reads, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. Jesus said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. Jesus said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Yeah, this is right where it all started. It was that one day, you remember, when Jesus was walking along the same shoreline when he called out to Simon Peter and his brother Andrew. And he told them, hey, come, follow me. And what did they do? They dropped their nets. They leave their boats. They leave the family business. They leave everything. And they go and follow Jesus. 
And for the next three years, well, they would see things that no one would be able to prepare them for. I mean, they would see the blind receive sight, the lame walk. They would see storms still. They would see the dead raised. They would see the betrayal, the crucifixion, and the resurrection of Jesus. They are now seeing the raised Jesus. And yet, things are right back where they used to be. The disciples, they're fishing again. And so they have breakfast with Jesus. Jesus calls them over. And it is an amazing breakfast because during this breakfast, the disciples are going to be reminded of so many experiences, so many moments that they had shared with Jesus. They're going to be reminded of who Jesus really is and who they really are. And after breakfast is winding down, Peter, he might be thinking, I thought for sure that Jesus was going to bring that up. Maybe we don't have to go there. Maybe we can just start over. Maybe I don't have to say anything about what happened before because Peter, Simon Peter, he would have been reminded, haunted even of that night right before the crucifixion when he denied Jesus three times and they locked eyes for that moment. Simon, he, he's weighted down with the guilt of all this. And maybe he's thinking, Jesus is just going to go there. We can just let all that kind of slide and we can start over. And then Jesus, he asked the question. He doesn't allow just an elephant to stay in the room. He's going to go there. And he asked the question, Simon, did, did you catch that? He says, Simon, Do you remember that, that time when Jesus is with the disciples and he's asking the disciples, hey, who do the people say that I am? And the disciples, they're quick to respond. Oh, some say Jeremiah, some say Elijah, some say one of the other prophets. And then Jesus turns the tables and he says, what about you? Who do you say that I am? Now all the disciples are quiet except Simon. Simon speaks up and he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus tells Simon, he says, oh, blessed are you, Simon, son of John, because this was not uh, just out of your own knowledge. This was given to you by your father in heaven. And I'm telling you that you are now Peter. You're no longer Simon. You are Peter. And that means rock. And on this rock, on this rock of faith, I will build my church and not even the gates of Hades will prevail against it. You're no longer Simon. You're Peter. Now they're on the shore of Galilee just having breakfast. And he's no longer Peter. He's Simon. Well, there was a time when Simon Peter had said, Oh, Jesus, I love you. I love you more than all the other disciples. I'll never desert you. I'll never leave you. Even if I have to die, I'm, I'm never going to deny you. But when it came time for Simon to love Jesus, he didn't. He backed away. Now you're no longer Peter, you're Simon. And so Jesus asked the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Do you agape me? That word agape, it's, it's the type of love that God has for us. It's the type of love that sacrifices oneself for the beloved. The type of love that would do anything for the beloved. The type of love that, that pays all costs, that goes to any measure. It's, it's a love not of the emotion, but of the will, where you are determined to do what's best for the beloved, regardless of what it means to you. It's not, it's not seeking some kind of self-interest at all. It's simply looking out for the object of the one you love. Jesus 
asked the question to Simon, Simon, son of John, do you agape me? And then he says, do you agape me more than these? Now, we don't know exactly what Jesus is pointing to right there, what the these is referring to. Perhaps it's the fish. Remember, they just caught this huge catch of fish, 153 big ones. Perhaps Jesus pointed to the fish and said, Simon, do you love me more than these fish? Because remember, we're back here right where it all started again. You're back fishing again, Simon. There was that time when you left your nets, when you left the family business, when you left everything and you said you'd follow me anywhere. There was that time when you did that, Simon, but now we're right back to fishing again. Do you love me more than fishing, Simon? Do you love me more than this business, Simon? Do you agape me? Perhaps Jesus is pointing to the other disciples. Maybe these guys are kind of cleaning up after breakfast and, and there was that time when Simon had said, hey, Jesus, even if all the other disciples leave you, I never will. I'll never desert you. I'll never deny you. I'm in it for, for the long haul. And then what happened? He denied him. He deserted him. And so perhaps Jesus is pointing to the disciples and he's saying, Simon, do you agape me more than these guys? Do you, do you really, Simon? Don't miss this moment. This is an intense moment here. They're having this just wrapped up breakfast, sitting by this charcoal fire. And Jesus and Simon, they're sitting close enough where they can see each other, almost reach out and touch one another. Close enough where Simon can look over at Jesus and he can see the scars on Jesus' hands. He can see the scars on Jesus' feet. He can see the scars on Jesus' forehead where the crown of thorns was just pressed into him. He can see the scars. He can see what love looks like. He can see what agape looks like. And here's the question. Simon, son of John, do you agape me the way I love you? Do you love me the way I love you? And you have to appreciate Simon's honesty here because he says, no, no, Lord, I can't say that. Oh, we miss it in the English because what happens here is Simon changes the word. He, he doesn't use the word agape. He uses the word phileo. You know what that word means, right? Because you know the city of Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. This is the word that Simon uses. He says, no, you're my friend. I, I can't say that I love you like you do, like you love me, Lord. But what I can say is this. Yes, Lord, you're my friend. He doesn't use the word agape. He uses phileo. You're my friend. I can't say that I love you like you love me, Lord. You're my friend. You know how painful that moment is, don't you? Maybe it's the type of moment that a parent has with a child and says, hey, I love you. I'll do anything for you. I'll make any sacrifice for you so that you can live the best life possible. And the child is just ungrateful, unappreciative. And thanks, mom. Thanks, dad. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate you guys. Maybe it's, it's this relationship and you, and you think this is the person that I want to spend the rest of my life with. I'll do anything for you. I, I love you. And the response comes back. Let's just be friends. You know how painful that moment is, how, how hurtful that moment can be. Jesus says to Simon, Simon, son of John, do you agape me? And the response comes back, Lord, I'm your friend. 
Jesus says, feed my lambs. We don't know how much time passed. Uh, perhaps it was a, a while. Perhaps it was, it was a long time. <laughs> However long it was, the second question would come. And no matter how long it was, you have to know that for Simon Peter, those moments, it must have felt like an eternity. But then Jesus, he did speak up again, and he asks a second time, Simon, son of John, do you agape me? Notice this time, Jesus doesn't refer to anything. That There's no, like, do you, do you agape me more than these? You know, I think that Simon probably already got the point. He, he had left his fishing before. He had declared before how he loved Jesus more than all the other disciples. Oh, yeah, Simon, he believed that he was Peter. He believed that he was that rock. He, he believed that that name described who he was and how devoted he was to Jesus. But now he's by a charcoal fire again. He's being asked questions again. The memory of his denial, it haunts him. It is fresh in his mind. You remember what those days were like, don't you? How, how just before, the night before, they, Jesus had gathered the disciples in that upper room. And it was there that Jesus initiated the Lord's Supper. He showed the disciples and he instructed the disciples of this is what's going to happen. This is my body that's going to be sacrificed for you. This wine represents my blood that's going to be shed for you. He told his disciples what was going to happen. And it was there in that room that Peter says, hey, even if all these other guys leave you, even if they deny you, Lord, I never will. I'm in this to the end. You can always count on me. And Jesus says, oh, Simon, I'm telling you. Tonight, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. And Simon boasts, no, Lord, never. I never do that, he insists. Well, then Jesus, he would go to the Garden of Gethsemane. He would take Simon, Peter. He would take John. He would take James. And he'd go away to pray. Simon, Peter, well, he'd fall asleep along with the other disciples. Jesus would be left alone to pray. Jesus then would go. He'd wake the guys up and they would walk over and they would see Judas there betraying Jesus to this crowd of people that the chief priests had kind of put in charge. And then this crowd, they would lead Jesus to the office of the high priest. And as they were there in the courtyard, Simon, he kind of follows, he's, he's at a distance, he's watching everything, and in the courtyard of the high priest, there's this charcoal fire. Simon, he sits down at the charcoal fire just to warm himself, still within eyeshot of Jesus. And there, this teenage servant girl, she walks by and says to, says to Simon, hey, weren't you with that man? Weren't you with Jesus? Aren't you one of his disciples? And Simon, he denies it. No, no, I, I don't even know that man. I, I wasn't with him. Sometime later, a, another man comes by and he says, hey, you were one of Jesus' disciples, weren't you? You were, you were with him. And again, Simon says, no, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know that man. A third time, another man comes by and says to Simon, hey, you're from Galilee, aren't you? Oh, you're a Galilean also. You've got to be a disciple of Jesus. I know that you were with him. And this time, Peter says, okay, if you're not going to believe the, the content of my words, maybe the saltiness of my language will convince you. And so this time he cusses and he says, I don't blankety blank know the man. At that moment, the rooster crows and Jesus looks across the courtyard, catches Simon's eyes, their eyes lock. And Simon knows everything that Jesus had just told him would happen had happened. He deserted him. He 
denied him. And so now the question is here the second time, Simon, son of John, do you agape me? Do you love me the way I love you? And Simon, he's forced to look, he's forced to say, I don't love you the way I love you, Lord. But I can say this, yes, Lord, you're my friend. The third time the question would come, Jesus would ask a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? But this time Jesus changes the word. He uses Simon's word. He doesn't say agape. He says phileo. He says to Simon, Simon, son of John, are you my friend? And this time, Simon, he's grieved. He's cut to the heart. All of this, he's been asked the third time, just like those three denials before. They're sitting at a campfire, just as he was sitting at the campfire before. But this time, Simon gets a question that he can answer. And he says, after some deep introspection, yes, Lord, you know everything. You have to know that I'm your friend. Behold, I no longer call you servants, for a servant doesn't know what the master is doing, but I have called you friend. Greater love has no man than this, that he would lay down his life for his friend. Simon, are you my friend? Yes, Lord. Then feed my sheep. Simon, he's not where he wants to be. You know, he, he wants to be the rock. He wants to be Peter. He wants to be the strong disciple who will lay down his life for Jesus, who would do anything for Jesus. But now he's at this point where the relationship is being defined. And honestly, he has to look within himself and he has to say, no, Lord, I do not love you the way you love me. But I can say this, you're my friend. He's not there where he wants to be. Maybe you aren't where you want to be. Maybe you want to be closer with Jesus. You, you, you want to love him the way he loves you. But if you're honest with yourself, you think, I'm not there. Maybe you think, you know, I will get there someday when this happens, right? When I get that job, when my life calms down, when I lose a little weight, when I get married, whenever something happens in my life and that kind of changes life, then I will love Jesus like that. But I'm not there Yet, understand this, the best place to start is right where you are. It's not where you wish you were. The best place to start is right where you are. Yeah, this is how Simon felt. I'm not where I want to be. I don't love Jesus the way I want to love Jesus. Because there's Jesus in front of you. He's got the scars. He's got the, he's got the marks to prove this is what agape looks like. This is what the kind of love that I'm calling you toward looks like. And Simon has to say, I'm not there. But the best place to start is right where you are. See, Jesus, he says to Simon, okay, you don't agape me yet, but you phileo me. You're my friend. Let's go ahead. Let's start there. Feed my sheep. He tells him three times after each response. Okay, Simon, this is where you are. Let's start there. Feed my sheep. Make disciples. It's not that Jesus just says, all right, 
Simon, I'm not going to love you anymore if you're not going to love me the way I love you. He's not saying to Simon, okay, Simon, this is it. It's all over now. You know, you need, you need to go and you need, you, need to, you need to pray more. You need to do this more. You need... Jesus says to Simon, I still want to use you. I'm not just going to discard you. I'm not just going to throw you away. I want to use you even where you're at, that where you are at is the best place to start. Feed my sheep, make disciples. Jesus says the best place to start is not where you wish you were, but where you already are. See, sometimes we have to get over this idea that when we come to Christ, that we already kind of resemble him a little bit. And all Jesus has to do is kind of polish out some of the rough edges and kind of make a few tweaks here and there. And then, well, what? hey, we look just like Jesus. Understand, before we came to know Jesus, we didn't look an inch like him. It doesn't matter how nice you were, how kind you were, how young and innocent you were, how good of a citizen you were. Before you came into a relationship with Jesus, understand you did not look an inch like him. It says, while we were enemies of God, he loved us. When we looked nothing like him, he loved us. And so in that, Jesus comes and he does not come to condemn us, but to conform us. There's this transformation that has to take place. You ever see those little kids toy transformers? You know how that works, right? You get the package and this is like this really cool robotic man, but then you can take that robotic man and you can kind of twist his arms. You can kind of fold his head. You can bend its legs. And the next thing you know, you've got like an 18 wheeler. Now that truck, it didn't look anything like the robotic man in the package. Why? Because it had been transformed. It doesn't matter what you look like before. Understand this. You must be transformed. Your, your hearts, your, your, your mind, your, your will, your thinking, your affections, your passions, your priorities, they all need to be twisted and folded and bent, conformed to the image of Jesus. We must be transformed. Because understand, Jesus, he's not interested in just kind of looking over your character flaws, kind of glossing over your disobedience, right? He looks at Simon and he's having this conversation with Simon. He's calling Simon on the carpet, not to condemn him, but to conform him. And that's what he does with all of us. He calls us on the carpet for our lying. He calls us on the carpet for our boastfulness and our pride and our arrogance. He calls us on the carpet for our disobedience and our failures and our denials. He calls us on the carpet for all that. But not to condemn us, to conform us. He's raising all this in Simon's life so that Simon will say, I can't be Peter on my own. I can't be the rock on my own. I do not have it within me to love you the way you love me on my own. That's going to take a supernatural work of God to transform me, to conform me, to look like Jesus. See, Jesus says to Simon, I, I know where you're at, Simon. I know where you're at, but I don't want to leave you there. So let's go ahead and start. How do you start? Make disciples. That's where you start. Simon, he's at the lowest place probably of his life, 
right? Jesus knows the worst moments of your life. He knows the worst moments of Simon's life. He had looked across in the courtyard. They had caught eyes right after Simon denied him. That moment where if Simon could, he would go back and he would change it over and over and over again. He wished that he had never uttered those denials, but he said it. He can't take it back. And Jesus was there. He saw it all. And yet Jesus says, Simon, make disciples feed my land. Maybe you don't love me the way I love you. Maybe you're just my friend, but be my friend. This is where you start. Make disciples. Do you agape me? No. Are you my friend? Yes, Lord. You know everything. You have to know that I'm your friend. Great. Let's start there. Go make disciples. See, we all start where we are. We, we can't stop, start where we wish we were. In, in this spiritual journey, this walk of faith, it's a lot like being born. And when you're born, you're not born full grown. You're not born mature. No, no you progress into that maturity. When you're spiritually born, you're not spiritually born full grown. You've got to progress into that maturity. And as you progress, well, sometimes it's embarrassing. Sometimes it's awkward. Sometimes you don't know quite what to do. And you kind of stumble around. You make some mistakes. You learn. But where do you start? Right where you are. Where does Jesus want Simon to start? Right where he is. And how do you start? Make disciples. That's the starting point. Go make disciples. Now remember, the day would come when Simon Peter would be captured, he would be executed. And as he's captured, he tells his Roman captors, hey, I am not worthy to be crucified in the same manner of my Lord. You cannot crucify me like that. And so what do the Roman captors do? They crucify Simon upside down. Upside down. Can you imagine <laughs> that moment when Peter stands face to face with Jesus. And he shows Jesus his scars, the scars on his wrists, the scars on his feet. And perhaps he was able to say to Jesus, yes, Lord, I agape you. I love you like you love me. It didn't start there. It started with friendship. It started with phileo. That's where it starts for us too. We, we don't just come into this relationship with Jesus and we just love him exactly the way he loves us. No, we start as friends. And you can either stay there or you can grow. But are you going to start? How do you start? You make disciples. See, the question comes to all of us, do you love me? Do, do, are you even my friend. And then you got to define the relationship. It's what William Carey had to do. He had to define the relationship. Am I willing to make disciples? It's what Simon Peter had to do. Am I willing to go and feed the sheep? Am I willing to make disciples? Yeah, maybe you're not where you want to be, but where you are is the best possible place to start. How do you start? Make disciples. Heavenly Father, we thank you that even though you can look over the course of our lives and you can see even the worst moments of our past, you choose not to condemn us, but to conform us into the image of your son, Jesus. 
So God, as we hear that question now and stirring within our hearts, do you love me? May our answer like Simon be, yes, Lord, I am your friend. And so we go and we make disciples so that one day we too, like Peter, can say, yes, Lord, I agape you. We recognize that we need your help to get there. So we ask this, by the power of your spirit and the grace of your son, Jesus Christ, amen.